Well, you know, this is a special day, and I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. If you would, just uh, if, you, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's, let's get them out. If you're, if you're on your tablets, your phones, uh, we really encourage you to, to connect into version. And the reason we do that is, is one, you can, you can collect the notes of our messages, and you can share them with friends and others. But the real reason is, you know, we live in a day where a lot of people talk about the Word of God, but so few read it. And we need to be people that read the Word. That's, that's the truth. It's in our lives. And, you know, it is, it is very encouraging to me that we have our Bibles with us always now. You know, used to you had to have the Bible with you. Now it's in your back pocket. It's in your phone. It's in your purse. Because if you have electronics, you can have it right there with you. And we just want to encourage you to be people of God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to... Um, 1 Corinthians 4. That's where we're probably going to start in the, in the Scripture this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But uh, as you're turning there, I just want us to go to God in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to, to give me a little grace today to uh, bring a message that's a little different, and I'll explain that uh, momentarily. But let's just ask God to speak to us. Father, thank you. God, we are so amazed in your presence, Father. God, even as we come and we, we do what may seem foolish to man, God, that, Lord, we would sing and we would celebrate. God, we know it brings us that place of intimacy with you, God, where, Lord, you speak to our lives, you shape us, you change us from the inside out. And, God, today we just want to know you. And, God, we pray that, Lord, you reveal yourself strong in all of our lives, God, and, Lord, we would live lives, God, that would uh, reflect who you are, God, that others may see you in us and bring glory to our Father, which is in heaven, God. We love you. We pray you. So God, help me today. Give me words to speak, God, that uh, reflect you. God, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. For those that uh, would not know, many of you are new with us here and many of our guests and listening online. Uh, today is Father's Day, and for Denise and I, it's a very unique Father's Day because this is the first Father's Day we've had without dads. Uh, we both lost our fathers this year. Reverend Tom Proctor was my pastor growing up, and uh, so he's more than, was a, more than just a father-in-law. He was the man who baptized me, and uh, we had a great relationship. And then my father, uh, Dr. Bob Field, went to be with the Lord back in January of this year. And uh, it, it, in any day where you have memories of celebration, it brings back emotion in all of us. Because Father's Day, for some, is a day you're like, oh man, I, I, you know, I wish I had a dad, or I wish my dad was a better dad, or, or others is like, I had an awesome dad, and, and we, we recognize it brings up a lot of emotion. And, and for me today, it really is a, an emotional day, and I, Justin was telling me I need to have like Kleenexes up here, but a, you know, real man will just snot it out, we'll make it happen, all right? But uh, uh, you know, it really is a day that brings up a lot of emotions. It's a, it's a sad day, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I cannot tell you how many times in the last month I've picked up my phone to call Dad and say, Dad, let me tell you about my new house, and it's not there, or, or want to show him the new building, and all those things that I, I hope for. And it, and it really has that effect, but it also has this great effect of gratitude. To just sit back and as a man to say, I am so blessed to have had a father who modeled biblical manhood all the way to the end. And for you that are starting out, and for you that are not married yet, or you're just married, or you're building a family, can I tell you, that's the legacy you want to live, is that someday your kid can get up and go, hey, I had an example, I had a father that, you know what, I wanted to be like, because he loved Jesus with all his heart, and he loved his family, and he modeled that for us. See, I understand my, my, my story today, which I'm going to share in a moment, a letter that uh, my dad and I share with each other, and then I'm going to teach out of that. You have to understand a little bit more about my dad. Um, the, part of the emotion this morning is just a, a smile because uh, I grew up with one of those bigger-than-life figures. My, I, 
believe it or not, I was raised in Texas. I know not all things are big in Texas. I got kicked out. I was too small, right? But, uh, but you know, I grew up with a dad who was that town veterinarian. I'm talking cowboy boots, which I'm wearing his boots today, the big shiny buckle, the hat, the rope, the whole nine yards. And it was kind of this crazy upbringing to where our home was kind of like Dr. Doolittle's home, right? We had animals on top of animals on top of animals. We did not have pets like you have pets, okay? How many have dogs? Cats? God bless you. We had like eagles. We had like deer. We raised a three-legged deer. It got run over by a lawnmower. We had snakes. We had cotamundis, which is a cross between an anteater and a, and a raccoon is what it looks like. We were an unusual house. And, and a lot of memories that I have today are of my dad that was kind of bigger than life. Like one time I saw him on TV, which back then, you know, three stations, antennas. Uh, saw him on TV one night. What was he doing? Well, he was working at the Houston Zoo with his veterinary students from Texas A&M, and an alligator had, had his leg bitten off, and the alligator got loose and was running down the middle of the zoo. And guess what this picture is? My dad, with a rope, chasing an alligator down the middle of the zoo, ropes him, ties him up in a tree, hog ties him, and says, there you go. That's the dad I grew up with, okay? You know, the only time I ever heard him curse, it involved the words Miss Texas in the curse. He came home one day, I was in high school, and my dad I said, Dad, how you doing? And, and I'd never heard him curse. And he says, blanky blank Miss Texas. And I was like, high school, okay? I'm like, wait a minute, you have Miss Texas in your class? Talk about, you know, hey, I want to meet her. He goes, no, no, no. He had rope burns all through his hand. And I said, what happened? He goes, well, she thought she was so cute that a horse that was running at her would just stop if she put up her hands and said, stop. So I had to rope him and bring him down, and now my hands are all torn up, and so I'm not a real fond of Miss Texas right now. So, I mean, it's just these things that you normally don't grow up in in a household. But, you know, there are things that are deep memories, but also the deeper memories are things that give us resolve, and that is, you know, no matter what the example was before you, sons and daughters, whatever the example was before you, this is your time. This is your time to set a, a legacy for your family. Many of you are first-generation Christians. Can I tell you what a joy that is, that someday people will look back and say, hey, bless my aunt or bless my sister-in-law or bless my brother-in-law because they chose to serve Christ. And so this morning what I want to do is I just want to take a little time and, and, and really teach out of what does it mean to be that leader, what does it mean to be that father uh, figure, whether you're a, a, a mom leading a household, whether you're single, whether you're a dad, I just want you to take this in and let God speak to your heart. Now, I want to say something quickly about, you know, I, it's, it's a little, not embarrassing, but uh, when you talk about your family, sometimes people think that pastors' lives are different than their lives. Can, can I get a witness to that? I mean, honestly, some people think that. No, we don't sit around 24 hours, seven days a week reading the Bible and praying. We live real lives like everybody else. I've raised three teenagers, they're adults now, that's why there's no hair left on the head, okay? Um, my family was a very real family. We, we, had, we, we've had, we had divorces, we had deaths, we had... We had abusive things, not from my family, but in them. I, I was thinking through my, my siblings, my older brother, Bobby, who's now, he's the go-to guy, and I, I, he goes by Bob. I still call him Bobby. But, uh, but we almost lost him. Right before his high school graduation, terrible car accident. They should have died. But he lived. He ended up being the best man in my family. I love him. My sister, she's my hero, uh, had, to, had to get out of an abusive marriage and raise five amazing kids by herself. I, you, you just love her kids. And uh, my little brother Scott, who's the judge that as a toddler fell into a, a campfire that had been put out and covered, but there was little place his hand fit in and burned his hand so bad that his early toddler and early age had to have five or six surgeries on his hand. There were just things that happened that are normal, things that happen that every family has. And 
Yet, I don't want people to think, well, yeah, you came from this perfect place, so you don't know how to relate to what we have. No, I came from a very imperfect family who served a perfect God. I came from a very typical family that served an amazing God. And because of that, I can stand you today and I can teach some lessons that I think will change your life and hopefully change your life forever. So if you'll indulge me for a second, how many, uh, just be honest this morning, how many had dads you grew up with that you really talked a lot with them? You, you, are, you are blessed. Most of you are female that are raising your hands. For a lot of guys, we just don't talk. We, we, we convey, we grunt, we give direction, but, you know, not a lot of talking going on, right? In fact, uh, the latter years of my dad's life, I, I, could, I could predict the phone call without even making it. You know, hey, Dad, how's it going? Fine. How's the weather in Texas? Great. Did the Aggies win? No, they didn't. How's work? It was just the same thing all the time. That was kind of our banter. But something happened back in 2002. I was pastoring another church uh, where Ron and Lois attended, and I was traveling a lot. And one night in a hotel room, I just wrote my dad a letter. And I want to read it to you today, and I want them to share a response that he sent back. And out of that, we're going to get some lessons I think are going to change our lives. Indulge me. I said, Dad, I wrote this letter to you in a hotel room a few weeks back. Oh, by the way, mine is typed because my handwriting is atrocious, all right? So I had to type it out to him. And I said, Dad, um, um, you know, I hardly write emails, much less letters, but I believe the Lord laid this in my heart. So here it goes. I said, Dad, I just got off the road after a four-hour drive to our district office for a two-hour meeting. And I was thinking what I've spent most of my time dealing with lately. And it seems like most of my focus of ministry has been on the men of my church who are trying to overcome difficult childhood issues that still bind them. So many have horrible memories of their fathers and are pretty messed up. I used to think our family was pretty normal. However, I've come to believe that it's actually pretty unique. I've always thanked God for you and mom and for your love for each other. So much of what I have become in these almost 40 years, a while back, remind me of what I always saw in you. You were and still are the go-to guy for our family in all its various parts. Because of the strengths of your awesome love for the Lord, I never struggled with identity or security issues in life. Growing up, it was always great to be known as Dr. Bob's son. Now, let me get, paint a picture, right? Town of about 2,000 people. Your dad is the veterinarian in that town. He is higher up than the mayor, okay, because everybody had animals in Texas, all right? So it was great to be known as Dr. Bob's son. And Jesus said in John 17 that he had manifested his father's name. His ultimate compliment was that by his life, he let other people know the character and nature of his father. Although we've been separated by distance most of these past 17 years and not had a lot of time together, I see you and me more and more every day. And I think people know your character and nature through me, though they've never met you. The other day, I was frustrated with my boys, and it hit me. My frustration had more to do with me than it did with them, for they are and will be a reflection of my nature and character as they grow older. And the question came to me, Am I giving them something good to reflect? Ministry has its challenges, but one thing it does is help me see life a lot clearer. I've tried to take what you gave me and with God's help pass on a heritage to my boys and help my men start positive patterns for their own families. Thanks for loving us so much and for being a man of integrity. It makes all the difference in the world. I love you, Dad. God bless you. And for some reason, I signed it very officially, Michael A. Field. Interesting thing. My dad and I have never talked about these letters, ever. Weeks went by, nothing. I'm calling him, how's the weather? How's the Aggies? How's the horses? Same, just life goes by. And then one day, a letter shows back up from my dad. And the letter is not like my little handwritten, you know, type letter. It was my dad's three-page handwritten, perfect, amazing handwriting from a man whose hands have been broken so many times about horses, I don't even have a hell of a pen. 
And he wrote this letter, and I want you to listen to some things he said, especially about being a father and about being a leader and about having influence. He said, Mike, I apologize for taking so long to respond to your letter, but as you have observed in the past years, I don't write letters. Um, <laughs> you are right about families and all the issues they ha- they're involved in. As I've worked around churches and on the job here at A&M, I found that most, if not all, families have some real problems at one time or another. That is why our family is so unique, not because of me, because I've failed God so many times, but because of the grace of God and your mom, for she has always been the quiet in the background backbone of our family. Mike, all that mom and I did early on in your life was to try to set some examples that we thought were right. In our relationship with God, knowing that all too soon, you'd grow up and start questioning things and and making your own decisions. This is always the scary time for all moms and dads and the time that you start asking yourselves, did we do enough to give a good foundation? That and pray a lot is about all that we could do. Then you take it from there and you start building your own life with your own decisions, hopefully prayerfully and orchestrated by the Word of God. You'll love this. Mike, I realize that we are alike in quite a few areas, and since I know me, that has been a scary area that has kept me praying for you constantly, which is true. We both have the tendency to see or hear things that need fixing, and we do it. However, over the years, I've improved by looking at situations closer and longer before fixing them. Now, as you know, that in the past, I have questioned some of your decisions in life. True story. This will make you either love me as your pastor or run for another church. So, typical dad discussion. One of the few times we actually had conversation, because as a teenager, I knew everything. He didn't, right? So, what do you want to do with your life? I said, Dad, I want to be a veterinarian like you. I like it. No, you can't do that. What do you mean I can't do that? If you're going to spend that much time in school, if you're going to spend that much time in education, become a medical doctor. And I said, Dad, one problem. I don't like people very much. And God calls me into ministry. <laughs> so, you know, he's not questioned some of your decisions, right? Um, he says, but I prayed, and I've seen all of them turned out to be good because God had his hand on you and your family. And I'm really proud of the things God has accomplished in you, and I continue to pray and believe that God will use you no matter what you do. And then it goes on, I love you and give God glory, love Dad. I knew when my dad passed away I was going to read this story one day to you guys, and um, I just now finally be able to do it without crying all the time. Um, because in there, what I, what I really felt needed to be conveyed in, in Father's Day is that we are in a society, we're in a culture right now that is so desperately looking for models of men and women that will just stand up and say, follow me, follow me. Let let me show you how to live. Let me show you how to walk out this faith. Let me take the word of God and get it in me so that what you see is not me, but God working through me. And your scripture out of 1 Corinthians was the Apostle Paul basically saying that exact thing. He said, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Later, he wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, and he said, Timothy, he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I'm convinced the greatest need we have today is not some political move. It's not some great economic change. The greatest thing we need in our culture is really men and women standing up who are followers of Christ and saying, look, examine my life. Follow me. 
Let me, let me try my best to show you the way to live in a way that honors the creator of the heavens and earth. I mean, let's be honest, who, who would today want our sons and daughters to grow up and emulate the, the, the vengeance and hateful attitudes we're seeing in, in politics right now? You know, who, who would want our sons and daughters to grow up and, and emulate the lives of most of our entertainers or most of our, of our sports stars? Now, there are examples. There are people in there that are doing really, really well in those scenarios. But can I tell you, we, we live in a world that's crying out, show us a way to live. Show us a way to walk. Show us a way to, to honor our God. Listen, no one is perfect. Can we get an amen to that? No family is perfect. No man, no woman is perfect outside of Jesus. But we need people who are willing to accept the responsibility of whatever, wherever they are in life, say, it's okay to inspect my life. It's okay to look into my life. It's okay to follow me. Listen, there are no doubt they make mistakes. There's no doubt, but yet they strive to do life in such a way that they never bring offense to the next generation. They, they don't do things to disappoint or to let down or to lead astray or to, or, to, or to just mix up in some great confusion. And when they do mess up, and they do, we all do, we need men and women who are willing to say, that's on me. My mistake. Forgive me. As a dad, that was probably one of the hardest things for me to do with my kids growing up. Because this takes a lot. It, it goes against our pride as parents to think that we're perfect, right? But have to look at them and say, you know what? Your dad blew it. And it's going to happen again. But can I tell you, your dad's not perfect, but he's following God. He's trying to live a life. And I, I may disappoint you, but listen, I'm going to always tell you the truth. I'm going to always tell you the truth. And I, I, I wish I could say I only had to have that conversation once. I had it multiple times with my kids because I'm a goober sometimes, right? But often the very act of admitting we're wrong and seeking forgiveness models to others the grace of God in action. We, we need the people that just own life, right? They own up to, the, to trusting God no matter what they're doing, whether they're coaches or teachers or bankers or politicians or laborers, your life will always speak louder than your words. Everybody thinks Christian witness is what we say. Can I tell you that sometimes your life is speaking so loudly people can't hear your words because there's contradiction going on, right? They don't see the consistency, the modeling. That's why I, I give you a hard time. We joke about it, but some of you need to stop Facebooking because you pretty much have no Christian witness based on what you put on your Facebook all the time because if people read it, they just go, man, your life is so messed up. I don't know what God you're following, okay? Just Mike's Facebook comment here, all right? You need one of those. You know, I, I truly, when I think of leaders, when I think of what it is to be an influence, I really do think of it in terms of modeling of modeling that example, what it is to follow God. Apostle Paul, he wrote these scriptures we read a while ago. Listen, without a smartphone, without a tablet, without Twitter or a computer, he literally changed the known world at that time by being a changed man, by God changing his life in such a way that the Roman Empire was shaken by one man teaching the truths of what it was to be a leader. So I took this and I was like, all right, well then, Father's Day, what, what can I share out of this? Because again, indulge me, this day is somewhat for me today, okay? I said, what does it really mean to be a model man or a model leader? And I just wrote down some thoughts here, and I'm going to put them up on the screen, and I already got my chops busted this morning because I, I need to put a little caveat, because the first one says, a, a model man or a model leader honors their spouse. Well, that's if you're married, right? Okay, because all the singles are like, well, great, thanks, now I can't be a model man. Yeah, you can, because you can treat your girlfriend right or your boyfriend right. You can honor your parents in a way that others would recognize God through you. Model men, pay their bills and keep their word. Vote their conscience. Listen to this one carefully, okay? Vote their conscience and then pray for the elected official, even if it isn't the one they voted for. 
I haven't won an election in so long, I don't know what it means to vote for someone that actually wins anything, all right? But I pray for our elected officials because they shape some things that have impact on my family, and the Bible tells me we are too. A model man, a model leader tells the truth. They function as examples for the next generation. They pray for revival, and they don't just get mad at culture. One thing I loved about my dad, and I, I, I pastored in various situations. One of my churches in Waco, Texas, the average age was 65. And when I got there, it was a bunch of grumpy old men. They just always, all they did was complain about everything. One thing my dad, even to his death, did, he'd say, Mike, it is messed up. But I am praying for God to bring revival to our land because God is the solution to what we need. Guys, we need men and women that pray for revival because God's not done with us yet. Amen? And we need to not be people that just give up. I have to live this, this next one. It's not easy. Model men and women and leaders drive in traffic jams and wait in frustrating checkout lines with a sense of being watched by others as an example. Ouch. It's the reason we have not put hope bumper stickers on your cars, okay? Let's just be honest. I don't want to tempt you with faith that on 85 or 77, you're going to kill your witness every day, all right? But you know, there's something about living as if you are being Watch. Real men and women, model men and women leaders shun pornographic filth, flirting with Facebook fans. They live it before they say it, and they model it before they demand it. Listen, when I think about a model man, when I think about a leader, when I think about someone who, who shows the way, I recognize my, my father in this, and I say he was the rock of my family. Uh, still is. I mean, we still are a little bit lost right now, but yet he raised us in such a way that every one of his kids are very independent. We're not, we're not hanging out with mom and dad all the time, or we're not, we're not living on them. We are, we're very independent, but yet we see him as our rock. Why? Because he modeled a way to bring something into life that is so important. And I want you to hear this clearly. Some of you guys are just starting out. I want you to hear this because he modeled something that I think makes it work in our lives. And that is he modeled the value of order, of order. And that's what I want to talk about in the last few moments we have here. He valued order. And the reason he valued order was is we serve a God who is a God of order. And he's not a God of disorder. It says that in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. It says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. He goes on in chapter 14, verse 40 to say, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Listen, we, we have too many households that live in chaos all the time. We have too many people that, that can't seem to get any, any traction in life because there's just all this disorder around them. But yet a godly man or godly woman recognizes that to model God, order is a very important thing. And I want to share with you some things that, that help us bring order to our lives this morning. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. You see, God gave us the example because when you see through the Bible, when he was forming the children of Israel and he brought them out of Egypt, they were a totally disorganized, confused bunch of folks. He brought them to Mount Sinai, and they were as dysfunctional as you can get. But yet he established order in them such that when they left Sinai, they marched out as 12 tribes organized, ready to take on the world in God's name. In the same way, you can go all the way back to creation. That God did not start multiplying plants and animals until he put this environment in order. There's air, there's water, there's all that was needed to sustain and to multiply life. Jesus showed us this. I always love the story of the, of the boy with the five loaves and the fish, how, how Jesus took bread and he broke it and he prayed over it and he multiplied it and he, and, he, and he sent it out and fed everybody. But the Word of God says before he did that, he divided those 5,000 men into groups of 50. He just sat them around in 50s. Why? Because he needed a way to let the truth of his miracle happen. 
God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And we need to learn to walk in some things that bring order in our lives if we're going to be one that, that shows the, the, that to the world of our God. I mean, think about it. If you've ever approached anything that's out of order, ATM, gas pump, Coke machine, what does that mean? It means you're not going to get what that was designed to bring to your life. And, and if you didn't get the patient thing a while ago, you're probably going to be angry about it, okay? But it's the same way if a life is out of order, if a marriage is out of order, if a church is out of order, guess what happens? Then the very kingdom life that's supposed to be reflected through you, that others may know Christ through that, it gets obscured. It's not delivered because it's out of order. And we need to learn to bring some things back into order. You see, I always think it's interesting in the movies, you know, they always have these dramatic scenes and you know, the old one, classic ones especially, somebody's dying and there's usually a priest involved and a doctor, and they usually say these incredible words, you know what, I think you need to get your affairs in order. Can I tell you, it's too late at that time. Because it's not at the end of life you get your affairs in order, it's now, when you're in your 20s, when you're starting out, when you're starting a family, because you'll never catch up if you don't start now. So how do you establish order? Four things I'm going to share, and we're going to pray and wrap this up today. And these are things I just took out of what I observed walking as Dr. Bob's son, all right? Without a question, it's not even one of the four. The, the number one thing was he surrendered his life to Christ, okay? Number one, that was it. Above all else, my, God, my dad loved his God. He didn't just tell us to read the Bible. Uh, he read the Bible. He's a better Bible teacher than I am. Uh, he knew the Word incredibly well because he studied it all the time. His library rivaled mine, and he was a veterinarian. He loved the Word. But the first thing I want you to see, and I think it's, it's critical again, and this is going to sound a little preachy, uh, but let me be preachy for once, okay? Uh, order starts with work ethic. Work ethic. You know, sometimes we just got to work hard. We got to pursue dreams. We got to get after it. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 24, it says the hand of the diligent will rule. You know, my dad was not a man of a bunch of words, like I shared earlier. He didn't have all these, like, catchphrases, you know, work hard, play hard, or, or all those things we put up on, you know, bulletin boards and all that, hustle until you no longer have to introduce yourself. He never said any of those things. He just did it. He, he worked hard. He, he found balance in that work, but he did it, he taught it, and he expected it out of us coming up. It's like what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor do we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. I remember when I was 13, I wanted a motorcycle. Can I get a witness from anybody? I mean, come on. I had long hair back then. I was, I was the rising teenager. I wanted a motorcycle so bad. I knew my dad could afford them. Hey, Dad, I want a motorcycle for my birthday. He's like, oh, good. I need someone to work at my veterinary clinic. I'm like, what do you mean work? He goes like, yeah, I have stalls that need to be cleaned out every single day where the horses do what horses do when they're in stalls. And I was like, okay, I'll take that on, but not being good at math at the time, and that became ironic later as a CPA, I'm like, yeah, okay, well, fine. How much does the motorcycle cost? Well, it's $700, you know? And so for that summer, I cleaned out 375 stalls out of horses every day for $2 a stall until I bought my first motorcycle. There was something ingrained in that moment 
that, guys, we've got to get a hold of. This is a culture of giving everything away. No, sometimes you've got to work for something. I, I wrote down, I said, if my dad was here today and would say anything to us today, he would say this. If you want to get somewhere, man, it's time to, to make a life that's worth following. Put down your video games and get to work. And show the world what it means to be responsible for some things. Because that shows a family what it is to have a God who created us and gave us the ability to work. The second thing, and I, I told y'all this is going to be preachy, and my dad would not be preachy today, so, you know, he's, he's fine. Um, how, how do you create order? All right, Hope, just get ready. I don't step on your toes a lot, but this is a good one. Punctuality. Did you not expect me to say that? <laughs> Dr. Bob was never late. In fact, if we were 15 minutes early, we were late. And we were let known about it, okay? And y'all laugh at me, and you're like, ah, oh, you're just old-fashioned because you're just like, you're always talking about being late. Okay, follow this. Follow this. So when you're constantly late in life, what it says to the world is that you're disorganized with your life and your time. But it goes beyond that because when you are constantly late, what it actually does, it conveys a lack of respect for those who prepare for you to be there on time. Didn't expect an amen there. When you're late, what you're doing is you're saying to the world, I don't have a lot of order in my life and nothing's really important other than me. And because of that, I just do what I want to do. And if someone is worth meeting with, then they deserve you to be there on time. If someone is worth meeting with, they deserve. If you're in business, listen, I didn't come out of the womb a preacher. I didn't come out of college a preacher. I was a businessman. That's what came, got me to Charlotte. I know what it is to climb a corporate ladder. And I can tell you what we do to important people, sometimes we don't do to the most important person. That's the one who created us. And punctuality is part of order. It's teaching your family that certain things matter more than other things. Some of you have a heart attack and break every law on the land to get your kid to ball practice, but you can't be at church till 15 minutes late. Just say it. Something's not right with that. Something's not, yeah, I, 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 I just, I wrote in my notes, stop being preachy. Okay. You see, here's the thing. God says, you go out and you witness, and you share, and you teach, and you lead. But I want you to gather. I want you to gather together because you come and you worship me together. There's something that takes place in that that you can't have outside of that. And he says, I want you to do it well. I want you to do it before the world so the world may see it. And I want you to do it with excellence. And what we do is we look at that and we say, well, you know, hey, they'll be singing when I get there. You know, the word's what matters, so, you know, we'll just get there. But here's the thing. You see, what I had modeled before me in order was when church started, we'd already been there 15, 20 minutes socializing. So the church started, we were ready to worship God. Why? Because we had an appointment together with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who invited us to be together because he wanted to pour out his power and blessing in our lives. And church, I'm, I'm sorry. People tell me it's a Southern thing. If that's the case, then, then us as Southerners are the most disrespectful people in the world. I don't think it's a Southern thing. It's a heart thing. You value what you show up for. And I want to tell you guys, punctuality is a big thing. You'll never hear me not talk about it. That's enough preaching this for the day. Amen. All right? Two last things. Order comes with financial integrity. Put God first. You've heard me say this so often. Put God first. Learn to live on the rest. Dr. Bob taught me to tithe very early. Actually, it was my mom, and he gave her credit for that. But it was very simple. Oh, Yo, you got a dollar? Ten cents. Hey, 
Give God first. He'll always take care of you. Can I tell you something? My, my wife, Denise, and I, we've been married 31 years this week. We've never made a lot of money, but we've never lacked anything. Because before we even got married, we talked about it. We were getting engaged. What are we going to do? God is going to be first in every area of our lives. And it begins through the tithe. It begins by honoring God that way. And can I tell you, he has miraculously provided for us in ways you can't even imagine. And there have been times it doesn't make sense, but God always makes sense for us. So we honor God. We honor God with a tithe. Uh, we honor God by paying our bills on time. Uh, can I tell you, hope has never been late or have missed a payment since our beginning. And I'm telling you, we started this church on shoestring, right? I, I, don't, I don't believe in that. I don't think it's right. I, don't think it's, I think it's bad for our witness. No joke, this week, I didn't think about it. I did it because it just was right. We just moved recently, and in the middle of our move, somehow I missed a bill payment to Lowe's of all people. I called them and apologized. I'm just like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that should have been there. My bad. Please forgive me. Doesn't happen again. They turned around and said, oh, then we'll waive the late fees. We'll take care of you. Because people don't call and apologize about paying late. I don't pay late. Because it's a bad witness to who I am. If you are in business, do it right. Stand up behind your work. I'm sorry, I hit a period when I was a business administrator of a large church that if you showed up at my business and you had the fish symbol on your card, I didn't use you because I got so tired of Christians wouldn't stand up for their work. Listen, the world knows that your word means something. And as Christians, we need to stand up to our word, amen? If we're going to be people of order, then we need to do it right. So if you've got a job, don't complain about it. Work it hard. It may not be the greatest job in the world, but guess what? If you're faithful over little things, God then can make you ruler over much. Remember the cleaning out stalls? Hey, that was real exciting. Let me tell you, in the middle of this Texas summer heat. But it gave me a work ethic that God then honored. Treat people with respect. Amen. Last thing. We're going to be people of order. We need people of relational integrity. One of my favorite scriptures in Romans 12 says this. If it is possible, as far, as, far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Peace starts in the home. Peace starts with decisions that you're going to live a life that's not always full of drama. You say, well, Mike, other people bring drama. Yeah, but you, you control your drama. You control how you react to it, respond to it. One of the things my dad did so well is that they had, they had relational integrity modeled before us. Listen, I'm sure my mom and dad had times of some severe, intense fellowship. But as kids, we never saw it. We never heard it. It wasn't modeled to us. They guarded the house carefully. It was a place of peace. It was a place of rest. It was a place to come into. They both spoke such respect for each other in front of us. Now, again, they're real people. They're going to have their times, right? They just didn't do it in front of us. And even when my mom's dementia got so bad in the last years that my dad became enemy number one verbally, he never did speak badly of her to any of us. Guys, listen, our words have such power. Relational integrity with neighbors in the church, in the community. If it's modeled to your kids that, you know what, we're not going to be living in drama all the time, then they can learn to rest and learn God is a God of order. My dad taught me something else that I think is so important today, and that is he taught me what real tolerance is. I'd say, Dad, you know, we're living in crazy times. I'd call him up in the last few years, and I'm like, Dad, did you ever think we'd be dealing with this? Dad, did you ever think of that? I said, what, what did you do? You're a businessman and all this. I said, Mike, you've got to love people the way you want them to love you, period. He goes, that doesn't mean you have to love what they do, but you love people. He said, people are messed up. People are broken. 
God didn't say hate anybody. He said to love them and show them the way. I'll tell you what, that's the words we need to be hearing right now in this nation. Amen? We need to be people that, ex- that just love people and point them in the way. Because when we do that, then we have order. We have the ability to show people the love of Christ instead of just showing hate to them. My dad was an Ephesians 5 guy, and we're going to close with this. You know, everybody wants to take gender out of everything. But here's the biblical truth. Read it in, in Ephesians 5. Men lead. Men initiate. Men protect. But men are also willing to die for those that they love so that they may be fulfilled in Christ. And that's the gentleness. That's the humility that God created for men to lead in. So my word to you is simply this today, and you're still wondering what the heck the carabiner has to do with anything. Last summer, my kids talked me into going on a high ropes course. Bad idea when your eyes are not that good anymore. And I I learned the value of the real thing, Justin, that actually is made out of metal and not whatever this is. And one of the things that they taught was is that you clipped on. You clipped on to that which was secure. And as long as you were clipped on, you could fall, and it would still be secure. My daughter's actually certified in high ropes. She fall off of all kind of stuff, but she knows how to do this stuff. She trains people in it. And I kept looking at that little carabiner up there and going, do I really trust that thing or not? But they tell me it's secure. And so I clipped on. And the day I did that, God spoke something in my heart. And it was about being a father, about being a parent, being a leader. And that is we do our best to show people to, what to clip on to. Get a hold of it. Put what's right in your life. Be secure in that. But we live in the tension. Listen, parents, you live in the tension that at some point your kids are always going to clip off what you clip them on to. And they've got to choose what they're going to clip on to. My dad had some great wise words in there. He said, Mike, all we could do was model before you what was right and pray and pray and pray. Some of you are trying to raise perfect families. Give it up. There's no such thing, okay? But clip your kids into what's right. God didn't call us to worship our kids. He called us to worship Him. Let's make Him the priority. Clip them on to what's good and what's orderly and what brings life. Because one day they're going to reach up and clip off, okay? We all did it. We all do it. But when we pray, God has a way of bringing them to that point where they're able to clip right back on what is true. I, I titled this message today, A Letter from My Father. And can I tell you this morning, we have a letter from our Father right here. And its words are truth, they're life. I was going to bring it today, but I was afraid it would fall apart. My dad's Bible. It was duct taped together because it was used every day. Listen, guys. God's ways haven't changed. Get into his word. Get into worship. Prioritize who he is. Recognize your kids are not God. They're not perfect. They're going to do stuff that drive you crazy, even when they're in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, all right? If you're still around. But love them. And be a model man. Be a model woman. Thank you for indulging me today. Would you stand with me? I'm going to high-five Denise after this is over because I made it through without a Kleenex. Y'all know I love you. Some of you have been your pastor for eight years. Some have known me a long time before that. 
God's ways work. That's all I can explain. That's what I try to do every week. God's ways work. He wants us to be examples. We say it every Sunday. We say it every Sunday. We're going to say it again when we leave today. We're going to pronounce the blessing over you at Romans 15, 13. And then I'm going to say, God, make us ready to give an answer of the hope that's within us with gentleness and respect, right? Why? Because we should live such lives that people are willing to look at them and say, do I see Jesus there?